Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday as well as on YouTube every Wednesday as well for the video version and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the Stouty family murders. These are a crazy series of events and a very tragic, tragic case, and I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about it. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. So let's break down the family dynamic. Let's talk about who the Stoudy family was. The Stoudy family consisted of husband and wife, Mark and Diane, as well as their four children from oldest to youngest, Sean, Sarah, Rachel, and Brianna. The family was all living together in Springfield, Missouri, which is actually where Diane was born and raised. Diane was the daughter of very religious parents, and she grew up going to church and being a very active participant in that with her family. Growing up, Diane was definitely on the shy side. After high school is when she attended a Lutheran college for their nursing program in Kansas, and it was while she was at this college that she ended up meeting Mark, who would later go on to be her husband. Mark was 11 years older than Diane, and he grew up having a very different childhood than Diane. Mark grew up in a military family. His father was in the Air Force, and because of that, they moved around constantly. So Mark spent a lot of his childhood moving to different places all across the world. And although Mark's brother really enjoyed that, and that was something that was a cool experience for them to have, Mark, on the other hand, really struggled with trying to find a place that felt like home. Having to move around constantly definitely made it difficult for him to ever feel settled in one place. Mark ended up graduating with a degree in communications from the University of Missouri, located in Kansas City. But something that Mark was really, really passionate about was music. He was the lead singer and guitarist for multiple bands throughout his life, and Mark and Diane actually met specifically at a bluegrass festival in Winfield, Kansas, which is where Diane was going to school at the time. They met in 1985 and actually ended up getting married that same exact year. Now, Diane and Mark wasted no time on expanding their family after they got married. They ended up having their first child, Sean, just a little under a year after they were married. And once Diane found out that she was pregnant with Sean, Diane and Mark decided to make the decision to move back to Springfield because that is where all of Diane's family was, and they thought it would be a good idea to be surrounded by her family by the time that Sean was born. Now, the Stouty family on the outside looking in looked like your average, normal, all-American family. However, things on the inside were not as good as they seemed. A very big stressor in the Stouty family was the fact that Diane was the main breadwinner for the family. And not only the main breadwinner, she was pretty much the only person providing a steady income for the family. 
Mark never had a steady income or a steady job. He took a couple odd jobs here and there, but Mark's main focus was on his band called Messing with Destiny. That was his main priority, and that caused a lot of stress for Diane, who was working as a nurse at the time. And Diane was focused solely on making as much income as she could as a nurse. She was constantly being moved around to different hospitals, accepting any job that would pay her just a little bit more. And during the day while she was at work, Mark would stay home with the kids. And by the time that Diane got home, Mark would go off to whatever bar Messing with Destiny was playing at. He would make anywhere from $50 to $100 and bring that home. And that was his contribution. So because of all of that, this added a lot of pressure and a lot of stress to Diane. Diane also felt like she was really missing out on a core period in her child's lives. She felt like she wasn't there for them as much as she wanted to be. She felt like she was missing a lot. And so because of that, as her children got older, Diane ended up switching from a nurse's position to an administrative role at a healthcare company, which allowed her the freedom to spend more time with her children. Not only did it allow her to spend more time with her children, but it also allowed her to dive into some of her hobbies that she was really missing out on being a nurse and having those crazy hours. And one of those things was attending church. Like I mentioned, Diane was born and raised in Springfield, and she was a very active participant in the church that she had grown up in. And once she switched jobs, Diane dove headfirst right back into being involved in the church. And similarly to Mark, Diane also had a love for music. So when Diane got back into going to church, she ended up joining the church choir with her daughter, Rachel. And that was a way that the two of them really bonded and spent a lot of time together. Now, speaking of Diane's children, Diane definitely played favorites when it came to her children. Now, to be clear, at the time that all of this occurred, Sean was 26 years old, Sarah was 24 years old, Rachel was 22 years old, and Brianna was actually nine years old. So there was a little bit of a gap there. And all four of Diane's children still lived at home. And because Diane was already stressed with financial issues, having all of her children live at her house definitely did not alleviate any of that stress. Now, growing up, Sean, the oldest, experienced seizures and was also diagnosed with autism as a child, which limited his ability to maintain a job. Sarah was attending Missouri State University and was working towards finishing her degree. However, she did have some struggles getting there due to what was believed to be learning disabilities, and she also had a high amount of student debt from her college. Now, Brianna, who was the youngest, was in fourth grade at the time that all of this was happening, and it was believed that she also suffered from learning disabilities as well. So if you're looking at that as a whole and doing the process of eliminating as Diane was, it really leaves Rachel left. And in Mark and Diane's eyes, Rachel was everything. Rachel was smart. Rachel was beautiful. Rachel made them proud. Rachel didn't add any stress to their lives. They definitely favored Rachel over any of their other children, and it was blatantly obvious. Whenever Diane would talk about her kids, the only child that she would talk about was Rachel. Whenever posting photos on social media, the only child that she ever posted was Rachel. After graduating high school, Rachel had also attended Missouri State University, just like Sarah. So the two of them were attending this university together. 
But you almost would never even know that because Diane never talked about her other children. She only talked about Rachel. And it wasn't just Diane who favored Rachel. Mark also equally favored Rachel just as much. So this now brings us to April 8th of 2012. And this was actually an Easter Sunday. And on this day, Diane ended up calling 911 due to the fact that she found Mark unresponsive in their bed. Paramedics raced over to the house, and that is when they found 61-year-old Mark laying in bed. After paramedics assessed him, they realized that there was nothing that they could do for Mark at the time because Mark had already been dead for several hours. Diane told paramedics that she had spent the morning with her children at church for the Easter Sunday service and that Mark stayed home. She said that by the time she came home to check on him, he was unresponsive. Diane also said that Mark had not been feeling well for the past few days and he had flu-like symptoms. Now, Sean, the oldest, actually posted several Facebook statuses to Facebook in regards to his father's condition in the days leading up to his death. Now, the day before, April 7th, Sean posted a status saying, quote, My father is slowly getting sicker. His voice is slurred. His walking is wobbly. His body is more tired than normal. He had to rest when he realized his car driving was swerving the car a little bit. He is sleeping in bed longer than us. He may collapse under his weight at any time, end quote. He also posted another status on the 7th, the same day, saying, quote, My father is so weak that he must spend half the days in bed. His motor skills deteriorated to the point where he cannot mow a lawn properly or drive a vehicle safely. If he gets behind the steering wheel of any vehicle, his failing motor skills would put pets, people, and himself in danger, end quote. Now, Diane told police that on the morning of the 8th, she had asked Mark if he wanted to attend the service with her and the kids, but Mark said that he wasn't feeling great and he was just going to stay back and rest. Now, Mark's death did not come as a huge surprise to a lot of people. The reason being is because Mark's health was never a priority for him. And so due to all of those factors, even though there was no autopsy performed, the medical professionals believed and stated that Mark died of natural causes and what they believed to have been a heart attack. Like I mentioned, there was no autopsy performed on Mark, and Diane requested that his body be cremated, and when she received his ashes, she scattered them across a lake. Now, after Mark's death, Diane received $20,000 from Mark on a life insurance policy after he passed away, and Diane took that money and moved her and her family into a new neighborhood. So now Diane and her kids are living in a new house. It definitely was a more up-and-coming neighborhood that they had lived in previously. Sean actually posted on Facebook saying, quote, in the next two months, I'm going to move out of a neighborhood of hell to a neighborhood that is real, has a low crime rate, has good people, has good schools, and has properly built houses. So clearly the kids were all under the impression that they were moving somewhere better than they were currently living. And this also gave the opportunity for Diane and her kids to completely start over. They were moving to a neighborhood where no one knew about Mark's passing, and it really gave them the opportunity for a fresh start. 
Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So this now leads us to five months later, in September of 2012. The Stoudy family has now settled in to their new home until September 2nd of 2012 when Diane called 911 again and told them that she found Sean unresponsive on his floor of the bedroom. Paramedics arrived at the scene and again quickly realized that Sean had passed away. Diane told police that Sean was also feeling under the weather leading up to his death with flu-like symptoms and similar to his father, Diane found Sean dead in his bed when she came back from church with the rest of her kids. She said that she had checked on Sean before she had left and he seemed fine, just not well enough to go to church. However, when she came back and checked on him again is when she found him unresponsive. Now, like I did mention in the beginning, Sean did have a history of having seizures. So after Sean's death, the medical examiner believed that the death was caused by natural causes and as a result of a seizure. Now again, Diane decided that she wanted to cremate Sean's body, and here she was, about six months later in the exact same position that she was six months prior. She was planning a funeral for another person in her family. And on the outside looking in, everyone felt so incredibly horrible for Diane. Everyone was trying to do whatever they could to help Diane get through this difficult time. They were looking at her feeling so sorry that she had not only lost her son, but also her husband in the span of six months. Now, in order to grieve with this loss, Diane and Rachel really turned towards their church at this time. They leaned on religion. It became the biggest part of their lives. And Sarah, on the other hand, took it as an opportunity to really dive into her academics and focused on finishing college at Missouri State. And she actually ended up graduating in 2012 with a degree in French. Now, once Sarah graduated college, she was faced with a new struggle of having to find a job and figuring out exactly what it was that she wanted to do. Her degree in French definitely limited her options in terms of what she was going to be able to do as a career. And so because of that, along with the mountain of debt that she had accumulated over the years, it definitely sent Sarah into a little bit of a depression. However, nothing could have prepared anyone for June of 2013 when Diane rushed Sarah to the hospital hospital after Sarah had gotten suddenly very sick. When Sarah was admitted to the hospital, she was categorized as being in critical condition, but the doctors were unable to figure out exactly what was the cause of Sarah's illness. 
The doctors ran every test imaginable. However, they were unable to really narrow down on exactly what was causing this. And even though they were running tests day after day, Sarah's condition was rapidly declining. And doctors feared that if they did not figure out what was going on with Sarah and soon, she was not going to be able to survive. During her time at the hospital, Sarah was staying in the ICU and it was during her time at the ICU, the police actually ended up getting a phone call. And this phone call came from someone who claimed that they had heard about Sarah's sudden illness and told police that they should also look into the other two mysterious deaths of the Stoudy family that occurred just less than a year prior. Because now at this point, people were really starting to wonder what was going on. People in the people that knew the Stoudy family, people in the hospital, because one death is tragic and two is horrific. But by the time Sarah got sick, people started to wonder what was really happening here. Detectives ended up going back to both Mark and Sean's death reports and noticed that there was an alarming amount of similarities between the two. They also went to the hospital where Sarah was being treated and spoke to multiple nurses who expressed concern over Diane's behavior. According to the nurses, Diane was acting very nonchalant about Sarah's condition. She did not seem worried about her daughter, and she even went as far as telling the nurses that she had a summer vacation planned and she was going to go whether Sarah made it or not. Now, detectives ended up speaking with Sarah's doctor, and after much conversation, the doctor actually expressed to detectives that they believed that all three, Mark, Sean, and Sarah, could possibly be victims of poisoning. Now, obviously, this was incredibly difficult to prove. By this point, Mark and Sean's bodies had already been cremated, and when Sarah got to the hospital, in order to keep her alive, the nurses basically had to drain everything out of her system and replenish it. So because of that, they were not able to go back and see what was in her system when she arrived to the hospital. However, police at this point remembered that unlike Mark, Sean actually did have an autopsy performed after he passed away, and the medical examiner ended up saving some of Sean's tissue. So because of that, police reached back out to the medical examiner and asked them for a brand new analysis of the samples that were taken from Sean's autopsy. Now, on June 20th, police asked Diane to come and speak with them at the police station. They just wanted to get a better understanding as to what was really going on here. And Diane agreed willingly. She actually drove to the police station herself to talk to detectives. Now, when Diane first sat down, she began telling detectives that she believed it was a result of Sarah self-harming. Diane explained that she had been seeing signs that Sarah was self-harming. Along with that, Diane admitted that she had been pressuring Sarah to move out and get a job so she could start paying off her student debt. Diane believes that it might have just gotten too overwhelming and too much for Sarah to handle. Now, when detectives asked Diane how she believed that Sarah could have done this to herself, Diane begins knocking down on the list of possibilities, and she tells detectives that they don't have any prescription pills in their house, they don't have anything that Sarah could have ingested. However, the one thing that she did claim that they had in their house was antifreeze. 
When Diane told this to detectives, it was almost like a light bulb went off in her head. She just says it with so much confidence when she looks at them to tell them that that's what she believes Sarah was ingesting. Now, if you don't know, antifreeze is a radiator fluid that is oftentimes, but not exclusively, used in cars. It's used to help and prevent the coolant in your car from freezing. And antifreeze is incredibly poisonous, but not in the sense that when you first ingest it, it will kill you right then and there. This is a slow process that happens over the course of several days. And the other thing about antifreeze is that it is actually tasteless and odorless. So if someone were to ingest it, they might not know. And with a straight face, Diane continued to tell authorities that she believed that Sarah would go out into the garage and consume antifreeze because that is where they kept their bottle. Now, if we're following Diane's theory and claiming that Sarah was purposefully poisoning herself with antifreeze, which again is a long, slow, and painful death. If we're following Diane's theory, that explains Sarah, but what about Sean and Mark? Well, according to Diane, she believed that all three of them were drinking the antifreeze. In fact, she states to detectives that she knew this for a fact because they told her that they were drinking the antifreeze. So not only now is she claiming that three people in her family have been consuming and digesting antifreeze on their own free will, she's claiming that all three of them told her about it and she proceeded to do nothing. So she's basically claiming that all three of her family members, her husband and her two children, wanted to commit suicide, and they did it through the method of antifreeze. Now, obviously, detectives were very skeptical about this, as I'm sure you are right now. They told her that they did not believe that they were drinking antifreeze on their own free will and that she just willingly sat back and watched it happen. So ultimately, after a several-hour interview, several hours hours of interrogating, Diane finally confessed that she was the one administering the antifreeze to her family members without their knowledge. And she told police, quote, I didn't know what else to do. Diane continued her confession and went on to tell police that when she first killed Mark and then Sean, both of those processes took several days to carry out. She then admitted that she attempted to do the same with Sarah. She stated that she was surprised that Sarah was able to survive the antifreeze. Now, after the confession from Diane, police had more than enough information and they had a confession, so they were able to go ahead with an arrest and charge Diane for two counts of murder and one count of attempted murder for what she did to Sarah. Police wanted to really solidify the case and thought the best way to do that was to have a witness, and in their mind, the best witness was going to be someone who knew this family inside and out, someone who was living inside of the home. So they chose Rachel. Now, initially, Rachel was brought in to share a statement about Diane, about the household dynamic. Police just wanted to get her side of the story and understand what was really going on behind closed doors of this house. However, as you can imagine, when Rachel went in and heard the information from police about what her mom had done, Rachel immediately bursted into hysterics. She was crying and she was too distraught to even give police a statement. So instead, police decided 
decided to go a different route. They decided to get a search warrant that would allow them access to the entire Saudi family home. And this is when they discovered a new piece of evidence that they never expected. When going through the Stoudy home, investigators discovered a journal. Inside the journal was a specific entry from June of 2011, so a little under a year before Mark was murdered. The journal entry read, quote, It's sad when I realize how my father will pass on in the next few months and how Sean, my brother, will move on shortly after end quote. And by looking at the handwriting of this journal entry, and just based on who the journal belonged to, this journal did not belong to Diane. This journal belonged to Rachel. This journal entry proved that Rachel, who was the star child, the favorite child, Rachel knew exactly what Diane was planning on doing, and she was aware of all of it. After finding this journal, police brought Rachel back in, initially just telling her that this would be the time that they would want to hear this statement. However, when Rachel sat down in this chair, police handed her over the journal entry. And once Rachel was confronted with the journal, there wasn't too much that she could do to try and deny it at this point. Rachel told detectives that her mom had come to her and talked about finding a way to get rid of Mark and her other siblings. She stated that she specifically wanted to do it with poison. Over the next few months, Rachel took it upon herself to do research on the best ways to poison someone. And she was doing all of this at Missouri State University on her school computer. After learning that antifreeze could be undetected due to the fact that it was odorless and tasteless, Rachel and Diane ultimately landed on antifreeze. Rachel also went on to explain that the motive for her dad's death was the fact that Mark was draining Diane due to his lack of financial contribution, and Diane also resented Sean due to the fact that she felt like he was a burden and had very little patience for his autism. Now, when it came to Sarah, Diane felt like Sarah was not going anywhere with her life. She felt like she wasn't having the motivation to go out and find a job. She also had the student loans. And so in Diane's mind, the best possible scenario and the best outcome was just to kill her. So after Rachel's confession, Rachel was also placed under arrest, and she was also arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of first-degree assault, and one count of first-degree criminal action. Rachel made a plea deal in May of 2015 and was charged with two counts of second-degree murder and one count of first-degree assault. Diane pled guilty as well to two counts of murder in January 2016 and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, Rachel will be eligible for parole in 2055, and both Rachel and Diane have tried to appeal their pleas, and Rachel argued that, quote, when lawyers were appointed, my fear of men was not accommodated, leading to miscommunication, coercion, and mental duress. Being in an interview room alone with a male detective was like being flayed alive, end quote. 
Now, with all of this being said, now that Rachel and Diane have been convicted for their crimes, you might be wondering, what about Brianna, the youngest of the Stoudy family? Now, at the time of the trial, Brianna was 13 years old, and she was actually placed into foster care. It is unclear what Diane and Rachel's plans were when it came to Brianna. However, detectives did find a note in Brianna's purse. It was actually just a crinkled up piece of paper that said, quote, only the quiet ones will be left, my mother, my little sister, and me, end quote. So based off of that little note, it seems that they were planning on keeping Brianna alive. However, for how long, we don't know. And that, you guys, is the case of the Stouty family. I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this one, so let me know in the comments below. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Again, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday, as well as YouTube as well, and you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then... Stay safe. Bye, guys.